We're going to begin by praying. Uh, our hope, our intention is that as you sit in your homes and as you hear God's word preached, that you will encounter the Lord in his truth by his spirit and uh, that you will really know what God is calling you to and uh, discover more deeply what he has for you. So let me pray. Let me ask God to be much at work at this time. Gracious God, we're just thankful that we can join together in this fashion. And uh, we are incredibly blessed people to have the Bible, your revealed truth, your word. And we're incredibly, incredibly blessed because by the work of your Holy Spirit, you bring these words to life. And you guide our lives and you transform us and you allow us to know your heart. So, Father, I pray for every single person listening that you will be at work in their place of, of wherever they may be in their homes or, or otherwise speak deeply uh, touch them cause them to know lord that they have heard from from you and give them the courage and the wisdom to respond by faith as we pray in jesus name amen well i don't often start a sermon by quoting ancient philosophers as a matter of fact i don't think i ever have but i'm going to today i want to quote socrates and it was he who said this, the unexamined life is not worth living. What do you think about that? The unexamined life is not worth living. Well, a lot of our series that we've shared in, in recent weeks together uh, from the Sermon on the Mount is causing us to examine our lives. And it is that examination which the Lord wishes to use in us, to transform us, to change us, and to move us forward. Over and over and over again, we're called to look within and to see what's in our hearts and to know what it is that will ultimately then honor God. The text that we're looking at today is very much uh, about internal gaze and examining our lives, examining our hearts. It's from Matthew chapter 6, and it's when Jesus is challenging his people to live differently. Now, He's challenging us still. It's 2,000 years later, but he still speaks through his word, by his spirit. And he speaks to us that we might hear from him, that we might know his heart, know his mind, know what he's calling us to. Well, in this instance, Jesus is calling his people to live very differently than the religious leaders of his day. So I'm going to read this to you, and, and uh, we'll jump into the examples that he gives. It's from Mar Matthew sorry, chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now note the words, to not practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. It was really common in Jesus' day. The Pharisees in particular did the sort of things we're going to talk about from the text. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, of course, it was very public and very intentional on their part. Let me read verses 2 to 4 as the first example of what Jesus is describing. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then... Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, it might seem funny to us, but this is what happened in the day 
these folks would go to the synagogue, temple. Trumpets would blast to alert everyone and to get everyone's attention. And when everyone was giving attention to these folks, it was then they would give their money to the poor. Why? As Jesus says, they wanted to be honored by others. What Jesus says in this context is, no, that's not how I want you to be. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Jesus is almost saying, don't even acknowledge to yourself uh, what you're doing as you give. But give in the secrecy that you might have between you and our Heavenly Father. Give and he will reward you for it. Do this with nobody knowing except God. It's between you and him and you and him alone. Next topic that Jesus picks up is the topic of prayer. Listen to this, verses 5 and 6. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Um... Once again, a reference to hypocrisy, a word that comes from the theater, uh, a word which allows, uh, describes people who are acting, if you would, um, acting a different persona, not really representing who they truly are. In this instance, people would be like that. <laughs> you know, and, and they would go to the synagogues and onto the streets and they would pray to be seen by others. Again, Jesus' phrase, they wanted others to see how godly they were, how good a thing they were doing. This is reference to Luke chapter 18. Is that there's a parable that Jesus uh, taught, um, which is quite uh, an indictment of the Pharisees uh, and, and, and very similar to the teaching that he gives here. So let me read to you Luke 18, 9 to 12. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. You see Jesus' point here? Do you understand what he's getting at? <laughs> These people who want everyone to acknowledge them, who with great intentionality put themselves out there so the world can see what wonderful people they are, how godly they are, how spiritual they are. And again, Jesus is saying, no, this is not the way of my kingdom. This is not to be the way of my people. When you pray, you get into that very private place and you pray to your Father who is unseen and no one is to see you except God and God alone. It is to be you and him, and you and him alone. Last example of, of this teaching is about fasting. Chapter 6 again of Matthew, verses 16 to 18. Jesus speaking, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Well, here we are again. 
what they were doing is they were letting everybody know, I'm fasting. They would put ash on their face and they would walk around looking unhappy and, and, and bemoaning the fact that they were hungry and they were in pain because they hadn't eaten so that everyone would think that they were such godly people. Oh, look at him. He's fasting before the Lord. Again, what Jesus says is no, <laughs> no. Be normal. Do what you normally do. And when you fast, it is only God who should know that you are doing so. It is to be between you and him and you and him alone. See, three times in three ways, Jesus says, do not practice your righteousness in front of others, but only in front of God. This ties directly what Jesus had taught his disciples in chapter 5, <clears throat> where he said, and it's in chapter 5, verse 20, that if you want to get into the kingdom of heaven, um, you have to become like the Pharisees. Let me read that to you. Chapter 5, verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now I want to tell you, when people heard this, they would have been shocked. They would have been dumbstruck because they would, would have looked at the behavior of the Pharisees and thought it was exemplary. And they would have considered those people the holy ones. They're the godly ones. They're the spiritual ones who live by all the laws of God. And the, questions they, the question they would have asked is, how on earth can I get into the kingdom of heaven? Because I could never surpass their righteousness. It's in this instance that those people would have said, Jesus, you've got to be kidding me. But as we've studied the Sermon on the Mount, we've learned that the righteousness that Jesus was speaking of was not an external righteousness. It was an internal righteousness. It was a matter of the heart. Remember? Love God, not wealth. Love God internally. In your heart of hearts, make him your priority. Don't worry. Trust God. That's an internal reality. And then passionately seek uh, uh, God and, and, and his kingdom and his righteousness. That's a matter of the heart. And then last, last week, don't despise your enemies. Love them. Not just act good toward them or, or well toward them. Love them in your heart of hearts. This is what the teaching is consistently in the Sermon on the Mount. We're not going to look at it, but Jesus in another text says, if a man looks at a woman with, with lust in his heart, it's the equivalent of, in the mind of God, of him committing adultery. Jesus says also, don't judge people in your heart of hearts. Don't look down on people. Don't be critical of people. He said, look at your own faults, your own wounds, and, and deal with them. Then you'll be able to help other people. The point being made here is that the Pharisees may have looked godly, and they certainly made a point of looking godly, but they were hypocrites, Jesus says repeatedly. They were not the same on the inside as they were on the outside. And there is one text that is scathing that Jesus um, speaks. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it to you, Matthew 23, 27, and 28. This is Jesus um, just unloading on the Pharisees as he often did. But he said this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. There it is again. You hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Oh, can you imagine Jesus saying that in the response he would have had? But he was serious. 
He's saying, you who are Pharisees, you who are, who are living in this fashion, you're, you're like a prettied up grave on the outside, but inside is nothing but rotting bones. And, and he speaks with, with such vehemence in that instance. He's saying, you know what, you're full of pride. You know, your, your lives, even your religious lives, they're not about God and not about bringing glory to God. They're all about you and bringing glory to yourself. Um, and this is what Jesus says doesn't fit in his kingdom. This is what he's saying doesn't belong. You know, I love a verse in, in, in Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, 7. It's a bit of a favorite of mine. But it says very simply, David is being chosen as the next king of Israel by Samuel. He's about to be anointed. His brothers are brought forth. They all look better than him, but it's David who is chosen. It says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Another. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outside, outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See how things don't change with God? God looks at the heart of individuals. And what Jesus wants in his kingdom are people whose hearts have been changed so that they <clears throat> live not for themselves, not for their own glory, not for their own well-being, not to gain honor in the eyes of other folks. Not at all. But they live for God. And they live for God's glory. And they live to bless other people. Well, out of this teaching, of course, comes the question, um, what is it that we live for? What do you live for? What is it that motivates you to do what you do? What is it that, 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 that drives your actions in life? What is that, that, that thing that, that causes you to act in a particular way? Well, I think the reality is that if we really are honest with one another, most people tend to be, or a lot of people at least, like the Pharisees. It's pretty common. So conscious of what other people think about them. For Samuel 7, man looks at the outward appearance, it said. And that's, that's what's true. It's what's so important to many of us. It's what not only drives our lives, it could be described as the controlling principle of our lives. It moves us to live in a particular way. You know, we want to impress other people. You know, you've heard the phrase, we've got to keep up with the Joneses. <laughs> uh, and that says something. We have to dress the right way. We have to drive the right vehicles. We have to live in the right area. We have to go on the right holidays. We have to have the right friends as we form this perspective of folks upon our lives. Um, and the reality is that in the end of the day, we believe that life is about us, me, and my well-being. Um, my friends, do you live for the self? Do you live for yourself? Is that the controlling principle of your life? Or do you live for God, for his glory? Because what Jesus is saying unequivocally is, is very simply, in my kingdom, my people don't really care about gaining the applause or the approval of others. They really don't seek glory and adulation and admiration from other people. But what they care about is about God and God's opinion of them and God's approval and God's praise and ultimately the reward that God will give to them. And here's where this statement that I began with about the unexamined life comes into play. I guess... I assume that a lot of people 
don't know why they live the way they do. Um, they don't think an awful lot about it. They don't think about the motivations which drive their lives. They tend to just do what they do because that's what they do. And unfortunately, a lot of people, natural human people in this world of ours, fallen natures, we end up living like the Pharisees. I want to share with you uh, something I learned a long time ago about how we learn. And it's a four-part process through which all of us go when we learn most things. I'm going to use learning to drive a standard transmission in a vehicle to illustrate this to you. The first step is unconscious incompetence. You know, before you're even asked to drive such a vehicle, you probably don't know what you don't know. You're unaware of the issues of shifting the, the, the gear shift and, and the clutch and the gas. It's just an unknown to you. You're living in unconscious incompetence. Second step is conscious incompetence. You know, you get on a vehicle and you, you try to drive a, a, a standard transmission vehicle and you discover you can't do it. You're really aware of your inability. You know, you, you try to start and you stall out or you have one of those really jerky accelerations. And you're pretty aware of your incompetence. That's conscious incompetence. The next stage is conscious competence. You're getting better as you go. Someone gets in the vehicle and tells you what to do, how to move the gear shift, how to play with the clutch and the gas until you're doing what you're doing and you're competent in it, but you're very conscious of it. You're thinking about it all the time because you have to. It's new and you're in the process of learning. And then the last stage is conscious competence. And that's when you've done it a lot and you, you're driving down the road and you realize, I don't even think about what I'm doing anymore. I just do it because I'm so familiar with it. You're unconscious of your competence. You don't really think about it, but you're doing things really well. Well, how does this apply to this sermon, you might ask? Let me suggest this to you. God, by his spirit, works in our lives. And we come to believe in, in Jesus. Our hearts are changed in that moment of conversion, of regeneration, as we've talked about so often. And e but even though our hearts are changed, a lot of old habits linger in our lives. You know, old ways of thinking, old ways of acting, old ways of speaking, old ways of desiring in our heart of hearts. And we have to cast them off. We have to get rid of those old ways. Ephesians 4 talks about putting off the old and putting on the new, like a piece of clothing. It's a journey that we engage in as we begin to grow and mature in the Christian faith. So when we begin in a lot of these areas, we are living in that place of unconscious incompetence maybe full of pride, maybe living for ourselves, maybe living for our own glory, maybe the driving force in our lives is to get people to admire us, but we don't even know it. It's just how people are. It's just how we live. Well, the Holy Spirit gets to work. Could he possibly be doing so today? Um, and it's usually through Scripture that God begins to open our eyes, we become people who are conscious of our incompetence. We go, oh my goodness, what Chris is talking about is me. That's how I live. It might not happen right now, but it might be someday this week when you're maybe examining your motivation for doing what you do, all of a sudden you realize, oh boy, <laughs> I'm doing really badly here. I'm doing exactly what Chris and Scripture said not to do on Sunday morning. 
Well, there's more growth and there's more intentionality. And as we begin to choose to not share all the good stuff about us and not try to get people to admire us, we move into that place of conscious competence. You know, we're, we're very conscious of what we're doing, but we are responding to God and his word. What happens is the Holy Spirit comes along and he convicts us. There you go. You're doing it right there. That's what I don't want you to do. Not in my kingdom, says Jesus. And you know, that's one of the blessings of the Spirit. He brings this conviction into our hearts so that we can change, so that we can put off the old and put on the new. Well, at that point, of course, we can choose to receive that conviction and to repent of it. And we can begin to move forward in conscious competence. We get to that place where we're living in obedience to the Lord as we choose to, lo- to, to live differently. The next time we're tempted to show our righteousness, to tell people about how spiritually and spiritual and godly we are, to get people to admire us by saying something or doing something or buying the right thing, whatever it might be, we say, wait a minute. I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm conscious of what God calls me to do, and I'm going to choose the right thing here and now, and you zip it. You just get quiet and you don't demonstrate how wonderful and godly you are. My friends, I want to tell you the more you do that, the more you practice that, the more that becomes part of your thinking, sooner or later you move into unconscious competence where this is just how we live. Not for our glory, but for the glory of God. Not seeking the praise of human beings, but seeking the, the approval of our God, it's given to us anyway, but we want him pleased with who we are and how we live. See, the motivation of our lives is no longer pride, but out of humility, our motivation is to love God. And we get into that place of life where we are just, we're just living that way. We're just doing what God has created us to do. We're living out of the heart that he has given us. I got to tell you, that's a journey. This is what we call spiritually maturing. It's a movement in life. It's, it's, it's something that we enter into when we're converted and hopefully we grow in as we learn scripture, as we allow the scripture by the work of the spirit to convict us and we change in so many different ways until we are those people who are just humble and who love God and for them it's all about them and him and them and him alone. I got to tell you, I, um, I live with, in this regard, often in conscious competence. Well, I also live with <laughs> conscious incompetence in, on occasion, no question. But this week, I did something that I really thought I would share with some people about what a godly thing I was going to do. I'm writing this sermon, I'm studying the text, and I think, Chris, you can't do that. You see, I was conscious right i was aware and i chose not to yield to that temptation conscious competence i was thinking about preaching here now i think you know maybe i should tell the folks at home about what i didn't do (laughs) to illustrate the point really well Uh, if you do that you're just violating everything you've just taught because it would be pointing at me having people think about what a wonderful godly guy chris little is So I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) Uh, But I hope I make my point well for you. 
In the end of the day, the question is, where are you at? Where are you at in your heart? Um, could be that you've never thought about these things before. It uh, could be that, that you have never really recognized why you do what you do. If that's you, can I, can I ask you to ask God to reveal to you any pride that might dwell in your heart? Well, can I ask you to, to, to look at the motivations, even this week? I'm serious. Look at the motivations that you have this week which cause you to do what you do. Is it to gain glory from people? Is it to, to have their approval, to gain their applause, their adulation? Essentially what's being taught here is, my friends, we have to live for an audience of one. You've heard me use that phrase before. We have to live for God and God alone. And we need to get to a place where we can live for him and we know he knows what we have done for his glory without caring that others don't know without needing them to know. Finding ourselves in a place where we are content because our Father is aware and He knows our heart for Him. You know, what I'm talking about here is nurturing a very, very personal relationship with God. Um, it's about living for Him because you love Him. It's about living in all you do not for others, not so that others can be impressed, but for your Father who is in heaven, who sees and who will reward you. This is what Jesus is calling his people to. Going into that quiet place to pray, giving in secrecy, fasting, no one knowing. Because the controlling principle in our lives is not gaining the approval of others. It's loving God. It's honoring Him, not ourselves. It's blessing Him. Now I want to tell you, my friends, if you can get yourself in this journey and move along the line until you're living like this in, a, in an unconscious way, it's just natural to you. It's who you have become in your, in your godliness, in your maturity in the faith. That will produce a life um, and I'm referencing Socrates' quote here, not, not a, a life that's worth living. That will produce the life that is worth living, the life God has created you for, the life that he promises to his people filled with joy and with peace and contentment, goodness, the life that God wishes his people to live in his kingdom. Live in that intimate relationship with your father. Live out of love for him. Live in such a fashion that you know that he knows. Live in such a way that it's you and him and you and him alone. Let's pray. Lord God, um, this is interesting teaching. And as always, it's challenging from the lips of Jesus. He doesn't want us to stay where, he, where we are. He wants us to move forward. He wants us to become something other than what we were born into with human nature and the power of sin at work within us. He wants us to break free from it. He wants us to put off the old and put on the new. Lord, in this instance, he wants us to live for you and you alone. He wants us to nurture that 
personal, intimate relationship with you and to live for you and for your glory. Lord, my prayer, first of all, is for all who listen that they would have the work of the Spirit in their lives this week that they might see any pride that is there, that they might see any habit of mind and of heart to gain glory for themselves. And I pray, Lord, you'll give them the wisdom to turn away from that, to reject it outright as inappropriate to the children of God, to the people of God, to the kingdom of of heaven. And I pray, Lord, that when they do good things for you, when they do good things for anyone, they'll learn just to Keep it to themselves, knowing that you know, knowing that you are pleased, knowing that there is a reward waiting for them because of what they have done. Lord, I pray for these people who listen, that they will grow into maturity. They'll grow to that place where this humble, loving way of living just becomes natural to them so that they're living out of their hearts, which have been made new by you. Gracious God, we need you to work this in us. We can't do this on our own, but we know you can. So Lord, we invite you to work step by step, year by year, until we really become like the Lord Jesus in our thinking, in our hearts desiring, and in our living, in our acting. God, this is exciting to us because it's going to take us into an incredible life with you. So Lord, we yield ourselves to you We invite you to bring your work of conviction as need be. And we pray, Lord, that you will enable us to do what is right and good in your eyes so that we might honor and glorify you. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my friends, uh, at the end of our services, I always, uh, in my mind, it's a commissioning. It's it's, it's, uh, sending you out to go and uh, be the people of God. Today, today I simply say, go into your lives this week and just be, be different. Be like Jesus, heart and mind and, 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 and in how you live. Enact these principles of the kingdom wherever you are uh, and show the world a different reality, a reality that is inspired by this incredible book, the Bible, a reality that is empowered by the Holy Spirit, um, a reality that looks like Jesus, and a reality that glorifies our Father. So to that end, I bless you in the name of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that you might be everything he calls you to be, according to his word.